Is How it? do I start again? Oh, Lord. Press your red button. I can't oh. find my red button. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on. No, that's, that's your whole, well, your whole no, computer. So oh, here we are. Off. The next one. Okay. Okay. Interview with Chris Park 4. Tell me about um, the paintings you were doing, those mark-making pieces that you did. Yeah, so after actually one of just the, after the PhD, or one of the yeah. things that towards the end of the PhD, I was working with um, Academy Inigal, which are these musicians um, doing sort of free improvised music with a guy called Peter Weigold. Which you get, and I was—I somehow got in on that with these brilliant young musicians. But and I was the word person exper experimenting with um, spoken word, but trying to use what was speech in music like an instrument, so not to dominate, so more as a sort of abstract element of it, rather mm. than being the thing that gives it all the meaning. Mm. And that sort of connects with this thing, acemic writing, which I think—I mean, I've always liked those things, scribbly things that look a bit like writing. Um, so I began doing that kind of art stuff that looks like calligraphy in a language you don't understand it was also kicked off by uh, a daughter of a friend of ours she's called Stella who we had friends around and Stella went upstairs and in my office she wrote on a piece of paper I am doing some important work and then she wrote scribbly lines underneath it and then she brought it down. She wanted me to sort of rubber stamp it and sign it. And it was like this fantastic. It was like, yes, that's all I've ever done at that desk is the equivalent of these scribbly lines feeling very important. You know, that this is important work where it's just, who cares? You know, it's just stuff. And we set up this thing called the Very Important Work Group together. Um, but I just love that idea of things that look like writing because yeah. you then think, well, what, what do they say? What, what, you know, if you could translate them, what would they say? And when you see in nature something that looks like it could be written, you know, scratches, uh, bits traces, of, yeah. traces of things, yeah. you know, who's written this? Why, why is it here? And then I discovered that there is this huge world of acemic art, and acemic is based on acemia, which is if you if you're acemic, you can't register not 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 you can't read but you don't even register that text is text you, you you see it as just squiggly lines really apparently so i think that's where the term comes from and it's quite recent invented by some poet but so there's a facebook group where you can post examples of sort of a scenic art um so i've done quite a lot of it and i really love it and after the phd it was so liberating after all that worrying about you oh, know, your references yes. and yes. the meaning of things, to be able to do things which didn't mean anything but suggested things. Uh, and then that led, I mean, there's this piece that I've not written, but the idea of, I began to get this idea for a, a fiction, really, about a group called the Repercussionists, who believe that tapping... You know, percussion is a better way of communicating than using words and if we could tap on each other you know that that might be a better form of communication and that a scenic art would be a better way of you know you can say more through a scenic writing than through literal writing um 
And I think I've, I've always been interested in drumming and I began interviewing different kinds of percussionists, particularly from a in a girl. There's a brilliant but kind of minimalist percussionist who plays John Cage's uh, music for two toy pianos, for instance. Right. Works extremely hard to make very tiny little noises. <laughs> and um, just talking to drummers about what they were doing, there's something quite interesting about drummers and sort of often there's all those jokes about, you know, what do you call someone who hangs out with musicians, a drummer, you know, that kind of um, But I also like this idea of this kind of utopian socialist, you know, Edwardian up to now movement that was trying to sort of um, persuade us to become, you know, to, to, to repercuss rather than... To... Oh, it comes from Edwardian times, does it? Well, no, that's, I mean, my fantasy is that the sort of people... The re, the, a repercussionist movement would have come out of sort of Edward Carpenter and Isadora well, they Duncan. Were, yeah, they were up to all that sort of thing. Yeah. Because it could it could have. Yeah. And there is a whole world now. There is a sort of tapping thing that, that believes that you can tap yourself to health. By, yes, I, kn yeah. I know that. Yeah. Um, but I was just interested in that, that sort of combination of mm. ideas, really. Yeah. I began writing about that. Uh, yeah. So what should we? Do? Where, where you want to talk about your diagnosis now? So is then, this a good point. Yeah. So well, lock, actually, lockdown. Oh, lockdown. Yes. So lockdown happened. George Dubin, I've just seen before lockdown, um, and um, all of that stuff, and then began like all of us living this different life, going to the Park. and I was writing about lockdown and thinking about humdrumming and things like say, that say more about humdrumming um, so humdrumming was just a term for coming out of this idea of the percussionists you know mm -hmm. that, that humming and tapping on yourself might be a, a good way of oh, I read a really good book about humming but this was before my diagnosis about how when you hum it's the one way, well, it's this interesting cross between performance and not. You know, you're mm. singing with your mouth shut. You're, you know you're audible, but you're not quite performing. Mm. Uh, you can hum even if you're not very musical, or if you, you can mm. hum out of tune. You don't need to know the words. So it's this sort of in between performance and yes. private. And it is a meditative um, device, yeah. it's a meditative practice. To yeah, exactly. The Tibetan, near the Tibetan. Yeah, it's not called droning, is it? But it's um, it it it, it yeah, it produces an extraordinary do. effect on the body, actually. Yeah, and in a way, tapping. You know, the thing about nervous. I mean, I'm a, a nervous tapper on things, but at what point are you performing, and what time you, <laughs> have you just been? And also that to see yourself, you need a mirror, and to hear yourself speak, you need a recording device but your hum is like something that really does prove that you're alive yeah it resonates throughout the body yeah so those ideas were in my head and then uh i was diagnosed as having bowel cancer uh went in for one of those oscopies and had that moment where they say i think we should you know call your wife in and they'd seen something that i uh, hadn't wanted to see and, and when was this? So this was May last year. 2020. Yeah. 
and actually I was in that dip when you know nobody was going to the doctor so once I had been to the doctor and been diagnosed I was then I went into a, a private hospital which the NHS had taken over for that was cancer in Houston, operations Princess Grace on yes. the Eastern Road yeah uh, very solitary because there were no guests and everybody was masked up and I had this major operation and coming out of that and I remember going in I filmed myself because I've been doing sort of dance warm up things as well I began getting interested in movement in this similar in between performance well, before you that. went into hospital yeah. so I've, I've got a film of me sort of tapping on myself as I prepare and the coming out of it, that thing about feeling very weak, looking at your body as this sort of huge... I remember looking at my body and it felt like this huge kind of island, you know, that I was on the edge of. But I could move my hands, which often were attached to things to measure, you know, stuff. And I was plumbed in in the way I'm still now. Really. So sort of humming and tapping just felt... You know, all these things felt very... Yeah. Um, it must have been difficult being in hospital and not having visitors, not having your family there. Well, I mean, it was. I suppose it was just like that was the way it was. I mean, I've, uh, it was. I think it was in a way harder for Hattie, who was you know feeling locked out. Mm. For me, it just was the way it was. And I, again, we, thanks to digital stuff, you know, I could talk to people. Yeah. Uh, my mate Dave suddenly sort of popping up on my phone when I've <laughs> just come, become conscious, you know, and there he was chatting. Like, um, yeah. But yeah, it was, I mean, extraordinary. But I think the other bit about it, why I've been sort of writing, thinking about it, is the way that it, my experience sort of chimed with what everybody was going through, you know. Like I've been writing about these things before I've been diagnosed. Mm. And everybody's in this, you know, very aware of their mortality, very uncertain about the future, suddenly leading these much sort of smaller lives in terms of geography. Mm. How safe you're t- thinking about safety in their own yeah. health. Yeah. Yeah. So after I came out and I began to do these, driven on by the steroids they give you, I found myself doing little bits of YouTube, sort of, you know, talking to camera. Mm. Uh, and it sort of felt... Yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I'm thinking about... So I'm now... Then I was doing chemo, and basically uh, that didn't work very well. And at the moment, I mean, I'm terminally ill with cancer, but so I'm now on a different kind of chemo regime and waiting to find out how long the sort of palliative stuff could last, you know. But um, confronted by mortality and and how I mean how well or ill are you feeling uh, well cancer is so weird because all the symptoms are to do with chemotherapy you know I mean at the moment I don't think anything I've felt has been pain due to having cancer in my body it's to do with being injected with poisons that are supposed to kill it yeah it but not me so yeah. I'm I keep out the sun my fingers are very sort of raw at the moment um i've got a stoma bag which is kind of extraordinary uh is that is that how does that feel it's not painful it's just Mm. like a weird process i'm beginning Mm. to get used to and i've also got the neuropathy from the first one so my feet 
feel numb all the time, sort of tingly at the time. And my hands feel numb, and for quite a lot of the time, like for instance, I can't play the ukulele. Oh. But now I can. I'm in a, you know, at the end of each cycle, I've got a few days when I can. Right. Can you type? Uh, yeah, but I've got this little scratch here. You know, my my skin is getting quite sort of vulnerable. But right. So far, there's there's nothing that I'm aware of I can't do. You know, it's sort of. Mm. Uh, and how is it how is your daily life well maybe again similar to the whole sort of lockdown thing it's it's been a very sort of special year you know Mm. well like I've said the lovely old friends getting in touch very sort of heightened with Hattie we've been very close uh family you know uh again in the way that I think similar to lots of people who aren't ill but you know the sort of it's heightened some relationships um and those includes me i also feel very scared and you know but the other bit you know about all that i mean mortality's so weird isn't it because i'm thinking you know my mother-in-law is 90 this year you know and my uncle in new york is 91 so you start sort of going on about how I'm worried about how long I'm going to be alive. I think, well, we know it's going to happen to us all. Uh, I'm 65 in a couple of weeks, so I'm young. You know, <laughs> it's this is I'm in 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 relation to that. But I've done most of the things you know the things you do in your life, which we've just been talking about. You know, I mean, it's a funny mixture. It's a sort of it's this awful thing. What's what's worse than dying? It happens to absolutely everybody eventually. And um, I sort of feel again in a strange sort of in between position, very able to sort of confront it, think about it. I yeah. Know. I remember very early on having a test, and I, I wrote in my notebook sort of, "Is this is this my new thing? Dying? You know, is this?" the new project and it turns out that it sort of is I think but then it's everyone's project so mm. but something about the circumstances and the connection with lockdown to me it feels that it's more than just a sort of single you know there is something to be discussed around it that's not just yes because it because it is because it does apply to all of us and so many people don't want to talk about it or yeah. even think about it yeah exactly when you're younger it's this absolute tragedy you know mm. how could this possibly happen to somebody that age as you get older you know it becomes a sort of part of everyday reality when you're mm. never quite sure who wants to talk about it and mm. or not and, uh, and I feel sort of somehow caught in between I still feel I mean I feel really you know, I'm angry. There's sort of decades of life that it looks like I'm not going to get that could be just great, and I'm really looking forward to the next ten years currently. Yeah. But uh, you know, I know lots of people, especially again the last year. You know, lots of people have died in much worse circumstances, and it comes to us all. You know, so it's. Um, have you found people that don't want to confront it that you thought might be able to talk to you? Friends who uh, don't want to 
Someone was saying, I've not had, I've felt very early, early on just that thing about realizing that it's not straightforward. You know, yeah. You have to kind of leave this pause to kind of catch what, what are people bringing to this discussion mm. and who's going to sort of immediately suggest some kind of, to my mind, cranky alternative therapy or <laughs> who is not going to mention it and then you yeah. suddenly realise that they're not mentioning it because they're just very upset mm -hmm. and other people that don't mention it because I don't know you know it's, it's not they're as bad frightened. as something else you yeah, know all of those frightened. things yeah. yeah and I remember so, actually doing an online it was a sort of movement class I was part of with younger people and I began I just it was one of those you know introduce yourself and I said a bit about my situation I, I didn't realise it was, wasn't terminal then you know but about chemo and I sort of looked back at the screen and I could see that everybody was utterly sort of freaked out by it you know um, so yeah you, there's a lot of that having to just yeah it's strange how we're programmed I mean I'm sure it must be it's more cultural isn't it than uh, natural that that we like this because other other cultures uh, are very aware of it yeah. all the time and Certainly children, little children, seem to um, take it more in their stride. Very small children. Yeah. Don't they? It's odd, isn't it? Because it's that thing all the way through your life. That I mean, I remember a moment, I think I was 18, of having one of those, for some reason, just having one of those, God, I'm mortal, I'm not going to be here forever, you know. And, and you have the similar... Relate ongoing relationship with mm. it, I think, and sort of disbelief in it, and then it becoming part of the sort of knowing, knowing lots of people that aren't here anymore. Um, well, yeah. like Linda Smith, for instance, you know, but yeah. people that have been are still part of one's sense of the world, but they're not mm. alive. Um, and then you know, there's that whole phase of people thinking, oh, I don't want me to be on thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolute terror of middle age. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, I, I'm never sure when to raise it with, you know, like with my mum, for instance, or um, who. Oh, when would, she was when she was dying? When she, well, when she was getting older, you know, All at right. what point is yeah. it a topic or is it something to avoid? And I mean, I, that's the other thing, if people. I can see people thinking, well, I won't bring it up because I don't want to upset him, mm. as if I'm not going to be upset. <laughs> like, oh, shit, you shouldn't have mentioned that. I'd forgotten <laughs> I was dying of cancer. <laughs> it's such an odd idea, isn't it? That, yeah. you, know, you mustn't, mustn't yeah. bring it up. Yeah. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I mean, we all lead our lives kind of ridiculously, pretending it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, um, then this is, there's still this huge taboo really there is isn't there in our society yeah yeah and it seems more and more ridiculous that we spend most of our life pretending it's never going to happen yeah so are there things you you want to do that... uh, I'm very on bucket list I've been I'm got I'm, this is great to do because I've been putting together this stuff I've been writing recently and bits right. of sort of life writing. I've been doing these little short bits about yeah. different things in my life. And my mate Bill's going to design it for me, and I'd, oh, great. I'd, I'd like to do get that out. Mm. Um, 
and I've been sort of going through, you know, sorting through stuff like that. But on the whole, I feel, is it better or worse? Because, I mean, I just would like to do a lot more of what I'm doing now. I'd like to go to more often, which is plenty of stuff that we've got. And Can you do that? Can you spend more time there? Uh, I could short bursts. Mm. That's the trouble. Because I've got the chemo thing. Is yeah, yeah, sure. So it's a sure. few days. Yeah. Uh, it's lovely spending time with Hattie in the house and I can look at all these you know, nice books I haven't read yet and things you know I'd like to just do more of what I'm doing rather than thinking god I've never been to Greenland or anything right you don't want to do these big stuff I mean it's, it's almost impossible to do them anyway I mean again in the, the moment, current it's not, situation it's, it's not really encouraging us to think <laughs> like that but I don't think I'll just swim with dolphins but <laughs> maybe go to you know go to Birmingham again or something <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think mostly I'd like to find a cure, you know, I'd like to find some magical thing to come along. Um, and maybe, yeah, sort of pin down what it is that's, um, I don't know, yeah, just, you know, think about what I've done in a way that makes it, makes it sort of add up a bit. Except that that is one of the other tricks, isn't it? I mean, whatever you've done, it's all going to stop. You know, it's sort of. Um... Mm. But is it something that you talk to people about much? Is it? Is it? Yes. Well, it's been a sort of thing with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're... I am rather a depressive, you know. <laughs> so I think about it a lot, and uh, mm. yeah. Mm. I do. I, I hope I'm unflinching, but who knows when the time comes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to have a lot of pain. Of course not. No. But I don't think I'm afraid. But that's how I, you know, be, that's how I feel now. Yeah. But you know, I'm coming up to seventy-eight. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Somewhere towards the end. My brother, my father died at seventy-eight, but my mother went on to ninety-six. So yeah, I don't think I want that for myself. Which is also quite scary as well. I mean, <laughs> I, that, that's the other thing. I mean, I've got at the moment this peachy idea of you know, wouldn't it be lovely to do all these nice things for longer? But of mm. course, actually, I'm also you know, I mean, the the last act is bloody. <laughs> you oh. know, they have this, uh, it's difficult times and there's lots of and we. Where we we live in difficult times. Yeah, we do, and uh, the future is is hellish. I think for the planet, really. I think we're going to hell in a handcart. But this isn't my interview. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a sort of obsessively optimistic in a way, but yeah. you know, I agree. It's it's, it's uh, big times. Mm. Um, and I was thinking a bit about that thing about the future being the whole point of the future being somewhere you're not you know like mm. <laughs> rather than something that you're going to be around in those adventures in the 21st century that we're having you know mm. it's, it's there's there's something quite interesting about that having an interest in what's going to happen when we're not here yeah uh, and all this fearlessness stuff I mean another bit of me just I really doesn't believe it's all. The fearlessness. What 
Well, I mean, feeling like I can talk about it, but another bit, bit of me just can't believe that it's actually happening to me and that yeah. it won't all yeah. be um, sorted out somehow and it's just unfair. But that, I mean, applies to mortality as well, you know, it's like mm. somehow feeling that it'll, it'll all have been sorted out by the time it, it might happen to me. Um, mm. But the thing about trying to live in the now and think, I mean, I do feel at the moment when I'm enjoying things, I really am enjoying them. And then and then I feel very sad or upset. You know, yeah. It's not like I'm hiding one under the other. They, no. they sit alongside each other and maybe heighten each other. But are you finding a heightened sense of... Uh, of Try not to use the word reality, but you know, just that. Um, uh, do you have a more intense experience? Are you having those? Well, I was thinking about that Dennis Potter thing about yes. the blossom, blossom, blossom. But he was on. Um, yeah. He was on. What was it morphine? morphine yeah. <laughs> I mean, the steroids. <laughs> steroids are great. Yeah. Uh, I get three days of steroids a fortnight, and at that point, it's fantastic. Way. Whatever you're doing is just you're so focused on it, uh, and if it's if you're focused on writing a song, it's brilliant. Mm. But you might suddenly get focused on sorting out the recycling or alphabetizing your poetry books, or you know that sort of yeah. thing. So, yeah. so there's that side, and then yeah, I mean it's, I feel very you know close to family and friends and things like that. I think I mean it's also amazing how easy it is to spend a morning pottering about watching crap on YouTube or, you know, <laughs> thinking, surely every moment is precious. Is this really what I ought to be doing? <laughs> watching an old, you know, old um, episode of the Avengers or something. You know, what on earth am I doing that for? Well, that's like everybody else, isn't it? In yeah. This, in this current situation. So I quite like that ability, you know, the, our, our normality and just, you know, sitting and curling up on the sofa with a hat watching whatever's on the town, mm. the sewing mm. bee, you know, feels like a very rich experience. Mm. Um, and then I've also been doing a bit of therapy, you're talking to somebody who's really helpful, but one of the things about that actually was that idea of, as a writer maybe, or as a, you know, the feeling that you want to sort of get it all out, you know, splurge out all your deepest, darkest blah, and thinking, no, that's not, that's part of me, but it's not really me. And no. then the other bit is sort of polishing your image and sort of arranging everything to say, yeah, yeah, look at all these great things I've done, or you know how well, what a lovely person I am. Mm. And that's not me. So this. Well, you are a lovely person, Chris. For goodness' but, sake, I'm not just saying it. You are. I mean, <laughs> the aforementioned Toby Jones once described you as a diamond geezer. Oh. Which I, I yes, he is. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. But that's lovely. But the thing about finding a sort of sense of yourself, because you're, you're also very aware of this the inner self ah. that I am not. Mm. Um, people who are very close to me aren't me, and that when I go, they're going to be here, and that what they think isn't what I think. And it's it might be very similar, but it's different. So that thing about your inner self and your outer self in quite a nuanced relationship yeah I think I'm, that's something I'm really interested in actually yeah um, yeah and how 
how to feel uh, you know a kind of resolution about that about who you are I think in extremis you do find how many how many strands there are to yourself you know yeah (laughs) it's extraordinarily nuanced and um, complex isn't it yeah Oh, and the other thing, it's weird, isn't it? I wonder whether I knew that, because this thing was in me for quite a long time, but we did a sort of camping, camper van thing a couple of years ago. Yes, I remember, yeah. And I wrote a bit afterwards about getting old. I was talking to people who'd retired, men who'd retired, you know, felt mm. very kind of um, decimated by that, really. And I, afterwards, when I got back, I didn't tell anybody at the time, but I bought this little silver kind of bracelet. Oh, yeah. And for me, the point of it was about thinking about how to get a kind of sense of that you are your whole self. As you get older and people begin to sort of assume things about you and you get othered and pigeonholed and yeah. left yeah. out of a thing, to think, just to have a way of saying, no, well, I'm still the same person, you know, I'm, mm. I'm everything I've always been. Mm. Um, and to have it, this thing here has been really useful. Ah. Um, it was also about how you could sort of make sure that even if you couldn't, I don't know, if you love being in nature, you know, you, mm. you might plan to kind of walk across the Alps, but actually going to the park around the corner fit, you know, fits that slot somehow. Yeah. So to how you can sort of, which again, since then, I mean, lockdown's been all about that, how to feel you're getting everything you need. Mm. When we're all living in these little villages, really, aren't we? Mm. You know, a few neighbours and the local mm. bits of fresh air. Um, or a solitary bubble yeah yeah so those things are interesting yes yeah, so d- noticing things I, s- I suppose that was what I was asking do you notice do you notice more and things like walking in the park and yeah I think I'm I'm not very good at all of that but um, you've got a visual eye haven't you I mean you yeah visual eye what a stupid thing <laughs> <laughs> My eyes here, fantastic. <laughs> um, You've got a good eye. Yeah, I notice things. Mm. Um, I've still got this category. I think. I think if one of the things I'm thinking. Well, if if I had another ten years, I would learn to appreciate nature and cook better and understand how to grow things and do all the stuff that I probably never ever get around to because I prefer being in my head and. Yeah. reading and watching stuff um, so it's yeah heightened including the kind of heightened awareness of the trivia I suppose as well yeah hmm well, yeah okay well, that's done that's very good done. <laughs>